Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year. And I am Oliver Jones and not with me is Liam Delaney, but I have a special co-host with me today and that is... James Rayner. How you doing, dude? You okay? Yeah, I'm not too shabby. Thanks, you? Yeah, I'm good. I was thinking of doing like a really elaborate intro because Liam always does like a little kind of little fun and games at the beginning, yeah. like a little, I don't know, a little, <laughs> little sonnet, a little poem. I don't know. I'm not very good at uh, writing. So if, if it was a video intro, I could have inserted me and you into like a Harryhausen film or something like that. that would have been <laughs> I think you've done enough animation this month. That's for, true. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. My fingers are still dry, like plasticine, believe it or not, dries your fingers out. <laughs> did i tell you the one thing i did on the music video so like because i was doing like from nine till three in the morning like 9 a.m till three in the morning like animating mm. i was pretty tired and i'd say halfway through the animating process caroline went to work one day and i saw her off and i said goodbye and i thought oh i need the toilet now so went upstairs to go to the toilet because we live in a flat and um started to have a wee and then realized oh this isn't the toilet this is the bin <laughs> so I'd lift I'd press the button because it's one of those button bins that goes like it kind of shoots up the lid <laughs> and I started weighing and I was thinking like it was only like a two second three second thing and I was thinking no this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong so yeah that's how sleep deprived I was well you, you have hit upon what could be an excellent pattern of like the uh, the pedal uh, pedal powered toilet lid yeah that's a good idea actually yeah yeah <laughs> I'd be down with that <laughs> So have you been up to anything? Not a great deal. Um, I've been working on uh, on my film Heads Are Popping, which uh, you also uh, worked on. You were the DP. Um, I think I've pretty much reached the limit of what I can do right now. Um, so we need to do a couple of pickup shots, but not very. Uh, it's not the best environment for that kind of thing, especially since I need to travel down to London. So we're just kind of waiting to see what happens with that. I tell you what, it is looking really good though, like really good. And like, oh, you. you should probably tell the folks what how you like, I don't know, maybe how you came up with the idea and then how you got the money to make it. Um, well, it uh, it began when I was trying to kill either myself or everyone around me whilst I was working in retail. <laughs> uh, with your mind. It, yeah, it was just an absolute nightmare. Um, so rather than do either of those things, I decided to just write scripts at work and incorporate <laughs> a lot of the bullshit that I had to deal with uh, into the script. Um, and that kind of uh, just kept expanding until it was originally meant to be 10 minutes. It ended up being a 35-page script. Um, and then people who read it seemed to really enjoy it, so I thought we could probably take it a bit, take it forward. And uh, then Fright Fest, uh, the, probably the preeminent horror festival in, uh, in the UK, was doing a competition. Uh, in association with uh, Genera Films, who um, are a co- funding company that kind of cut out all the bullshit. You don't have to go through all the development process with them. It's just uh, submit your pitch, and if they like it, they'll give you some money. Um, although it's all usually done online, this was a live pitch uh, in front of judges at Frightfest, and signed up for shits and giggles, wasn't expecting to get anywhere, and we ended up being put through to the finals. And the other day, it was the... Um, one year anniversary of us uh, doing the pitch and oh, nice. winning and getting a thousand pounds towards the budget, which uh, 
It's about a thousand pounds more than I usually spend on my films. I heard though from Matt though when we were making the film that you were like, "Oh, is there any budget left over? Because I want to get this special edition Blu-ray." Bloody blah blah blah. I mean, that's usually yeah. My first uh, instinct is like, <laughs> "What? What can I contribute towards the film?" But also, what can I get Dawn, out of it? <laughs> yeah, this Dawn of the Dead boxer that's coming out. Yeah, I need to pre-order that. I don't know if I've missed my window. Hope not, because I, uh, I, I assume, don't think so. Because I assume as soon as that's out and it's sold out, it's going to be one of those ones that skyrockets. Yeah. So I need to get. I it. mean, like a dickhead, I've uh, pre-ordered it both on Blu-ray and 4K. How much is it? I thought you'd get the 4K and Blu-ray together. Is that? Oh, I don't have. I don't have a 4K player, um, so I've got no reason to buy the 4K. But I figure I will eventually get one, so it's best to invest. But I also <laughs> yeah. want the Blu-rays Future to proof. watch now. Yeah. Physical media. Uh, <laughs> and I've I've already paid for the Blu-rays because I ordered those through the Second Sight website. So that money's gone. I have no attachment to it anymore. So I might as well pre-order the other one since that's in a couple right. of months and I have no attachment to that money either. So just um, going back to Heads of Poppin', yeah. for, those of, <laughs> for those of people who don't know, it's probably pretty much self-explanatory, but it's about a girl who, yeah. who basically somehow gets the powers to... Just the increasing, yeah, the increasing frustration with the bullshit that is existence uh, <laughs> inspires her to suddenly uh, be able to explode people's heads. Uh, Man, if you made this, it's... if you made this film set in 2020, I don't think there'd any be anybody left alive. Everyone, no, apart from no, her, that, yeah, dead. Yeah, the second she got on a bus, it, just the entire thing <laughs> would detonate like a Bond film. It's. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of got more relevant in the the rise of the absolute selfish jackass over the last uh, six months. Yeah, so uh, the yeah uh, animated intro sequence is really cool. I like the fact that you see me getting my head explode. <laughs> yeah, I was like looking done... at I was looking at the pictures like, hang on, that looks a lot like Matt. <laughs> that look. What's the sound guy called? What was his name? Uh, we had two. We had uh, the main Paul. Guy. Uh, Paul, Paul was the main yeah because like, that looks like Paul, and I thought, hang yeah. on, that's me. <laughs> Yeah, that was done by uh, my buddy, who was also in the uh, the pits of hell with me uh, at Staples and uh, Office Outlet. He uh, he's an animator. He's he goes under the name Jake Lava. Um, you can check him out on YouTube. Okay. No, it's really really good. Um, yeah, the other sound guy, I just remembered, he drank as much, or if not more, Pepsi than you do. Like I've <laughs> never seen anyone about. chug so much Pepsi in all my life. <laughs> it's the drink of kings. <clears throat> so, have you watched any films this week? Um, I watched Deep Blue Sea three. Oh my! There's a third the one. Day. Yeah, yeah it just came, it's been out on uh, VOD for a while, but it just came out on Blu-ray uh, uh, this week uh, or DVD over here. The UK wasn't good enough to get a Blu-ray release. <laughs> so um, you know how like LL is it LL Cool J in the first one? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, is it? Oh, it's uh, Sam Jackson as well. So what caliber yeah. of actor have you got in? Um, there is nobody of note in the third one. <laughs> um. The second one had uh, an actress uh, who's in Chicago, Chicago Fire, I think. Uh, Is that no, like an other, American kind one. of like crime drama thing or something? Yeah, it was um, uh, Station Twenty One or something. Station Nineteen. It's the uh, Grey's Anatomy spinoff. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, Morag watches all those. Uh, fucking bullshit shows and i have to sit <laughs> with them but i actually really liked the actress in this she was the one holding oh this is deep blue c2 she really held that together with her performance she was really trying to make you believe that this 
essential remake of the original is uh, is just as good and it wasn't it was pretty wank uh but the third one i really enjoyed is uh it's set on this kind of floating fishing village which was kind of a unique twist the first one is set in another underground science facility so okay. it looks and sounds like just like a cheaper version of the first one but the third one's got a bit more of a sense of humor it's got a good uh call back to sam jackson's death in the first one okay that's my favorite uh, thing in the first one because in the director's commentary you've got sam jackson in it <laughs> until the moment he dies and he's like right i'm going right, to see I'm you mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah this uh, uh character gives a rousing speech and then is immediately uh offed by a shark it's uh it's a good moment and the the final shark's demise is pretty spectacular um i haven't seen that in a shark movie how the shark affects well, um i read somewhere that it was a combination of cg and practical but I, th- I think there's one dead shark that's practical and the rest is cgi and it's weird like some of the shots look really good like uh a movie caliber and then there's some that look just as bad as the stuff in the first one there's so many like stock cgi sharks you can probably buy that are probably yeah. quite like highly detailed i remember Although the... they've gone they're you're using bull sharks in in Deep Blue Sea 2 and 3, which is unusual. Usually everyone goes for the Great White. Right. And bull Mixing sharks. it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember those Shark Attack movies, and there was one with John Barrowman in. But like the oh, effects, yeah, the third one. The effects look like just Photoshop sharks that just pop I out. I believe that was. I'm sure I read that somewhere that they actually had. I mean, I've done that. I've had to do effects in Photoshop before, but I had £4.50 to do the entire film. I'm sure The Asylum has got slightly more than that. <laughs> Now you've raised the bar with what you've been watching. What else did you watch? Like, <laughs> it can only go down. Uh, I can't even remember. Oh, I watched um, Fearless Hyena, uh, Jackie Chan's first film as a director. Oh, nice. Uh, that was pretty good. You can really tell, because a previous Jackie Chan film I watched before that was um, Snake and Crane Arts of Shaolin, which was one of the ones he made before he, he had a big hit. And he's not the action director on that. And you can really tell it's still the kind of, you know, very poised um, style of Kung Fu. That's all about the stances and the moves rather than it looking like people are actually fighting. Whereas now he's directing it, it really steps it up a notch. It's a lot more fast paced and you can, you can, it looks like people are trying to hurt each other. Yeah. Cause like earlier in his career, wasn't he kind of like, cause he's in, uh, Fists of Fury, isn't he? He does like one of the. He's stunts. in a few Bruce Lee movies. Yeah, and then I think he then becomes the same character as Bruce Lee in Fist of Fury. Yeah, like that's actually that's coming out on Blu-ray uh, in oh, November nice. or December, I think. New Fist of Fury. So was it like until like Drunken Master or around that era where he kind of found his kind of like that was when he found yeah. His group? Um, he initially started working with Lo Wei, who was the guy who discovered Bruce Lee. He'd made the Big Boss and Fist of Fury and all that kind of stuff. And he was really trying to mould him into be the new Bruce Lee, which he wasn't. He's, you know, he's a lot more lighthearted than yeah, that. Yeah, he's yeah. got his own style of fighting that he wanted to do. And Way was just trying to force him into this box. And all the films they made together flopped, didn't make any money. So eventually Way just got pissed and kind of loaned him out to another studio who were happy to embrace the comedic side of it. And they made uh, Snake and the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master. And that's when it went through the roof. And that's when Jackie Chan fucked off to another studio. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I've watched. Like doing this music video, I haven't really watched anything. Yeah, I think you've had your time. But full. on Sunday, I, I just sat in bed and um, just watched Film Four. Oh, yeah. And um, 
How to Train Your Dragon was on. I don't know if you've seen How to Train Your Dragon. I haven't. I've heard good things, but I never quite got around to watching it. It's probably in my top ten favorite animated films of all time. It's such yeah. a wonderful film. Like it's so well directed and well acted yeah. and stuff. I mean, you know, like, they're Vikings who the adults have Scottish accents and then all the kids have an American accent. So I mean, as long as you can get past that, it's all right. But it's a wonderful little story. Then I watched Paddington. I don't know if you've seen Paddington. I haven't. No. But it's directed by ah shit. I think it's a guy who did a lot of Mighty Boosh. Oh yeah, yeah, the first one. Uh, uh, and he did, he did well. Bunny and the Bull. Yeah, I I've been wanting to see that for years. That was on at one of the film festivals that I worked at and when I was on the um, information desk. So I saw that trailer nine hundred times that week. <laughs> it was just constantly looping on the TV behind me. I'm trying to think what his name is. Paul King, that's his name. And I think he did oh, yeah. both. I think he did both the Paddingtons. But oh, yeah. um, I mean, it, it felt very much like a lot of those eight, 90s kind of British uh, kids' films where they're kind of set in the modern day, but they've got their foot in like the 50s yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. a bit like the Borrowers or something like that. So mm. it's kind of like it's neither here nor there. Um, but it definitely kind of apes a bit of Wes Anderson as well, but a bit more saturated. So like a lot of symmetrical shots and things like that. Oh, really? I think, I think they doubled down on that more in the second one, but I haven't seen it. I thought you just meant it was twee as fuck. <laughs> it's quite twee. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of CGI because obviously Paddington bears. Yeah, I have seen a shot of him riding down a tidal wave in a bath on the stairs that's, or something. That's in the first one, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all right. It's got... Um, a guy from Downton Abbey is the lead. It's got Julie Walters. Um, I think Nicole Kidman's the main villain. And I think oh, really? she has about three scenes. Actually, the final <laughs> scene reminded me of the showdown. Have you seen Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom? Yes. And they're on top of the building and they've got that mm. weird fucking raptor thing that's... Indoraptor. Indoraptor. It's pretty much exactly the same, but it's with Paddington Bear and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> the same. But, um, you might have just sold me on Paddington. There's a setup earlier on where he's like, because you know he eats marmalade sandwiches, mm. and like he's he's waiting. He's at uh, Paddington Station and he's feeding the birds his marmalade sandwich. And at the end, like they they think they're about to get killed by Nicole Kidman. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> But he notices some pigeons there, and he's got a marmalade sandwich in his in his hat. So he pulls out the marmalade sandwich and throws it at Nicole Kidman, and then the birds. Uh, the <laughs> old uh, Home Alone two move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then I watched the Hunt. I don't know if you've seen the Hunt. Are oh, the, um, the Blue yeah, House the hunting humans uh, thing that got uh, pushed back after one of the rare outbreaks of American just... violence? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty shit to be fair though. <laughs> like, there's a load of films in this kind of vein. So you've kind of got your Running Man, you know. Mm. Um, I guess the Hunger Games, uh, uh, Battle Royale, you know, where kind mm. of people are on like a, they're in a foreign territory where they're kind of given weapons and they've got to defend themselves against people or yeah. each other or whatever. And um, isn't it meant to be like a, a right wing? Yeah, that's so basically it's all it. the Trump voters that are getting hunted. Yeah, that's basically it. So it's left wing yeah. people who kind of are the hunters, mm. and then yeah, like rednecks as the as the hunties hunter. I don't know <laughs> what is it. I don't know <laughs> as the prey. prey? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the main woman though, I think like spoilers. I don't know if you're gonna watch it, but um, they fuck up and they they pick the wrong girl, but it has the same name as her. Um. So it's not a right wing kind of prissy mm. girl they pick they pick this kind of hard as fuck kind of girl who's i think she's in glow i don't know if you've seen glow 
Yeah, I've seen like the first few episodes of it, and then I got distracted, and I uh, I never got around to finishing it. But, I mean, uh, I did like it. Apparently, she's very good in Glow, but I didn't think she was very good in this. But it's got uh, yeah. Hilary Swank in it as well. I quite like Hilary Swank normally. Mm. I haven't seen her in much recently, actually. Uh, it's got Randy from My Name Is Earl. You know, Ethan. Suplee. Oh, Ethan Suplee, who's jacked as fuck now. Yeah, he doesn't look very jacked in this, but he's <laughs> he is clothed. But yeah, he is hench now. Mm. And yeah. it was written by um, Damon Lindelof, you know, from Lost. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think he's done Watchmen now and Leftovers and stuff. But yeah. Yeah, oh. he's kind of redeemed himself with Watchmen, I think. Yeah, not with yeah, that film, no. Oh, was it the film, not the TV show? No, the film is in The Hunt. He wrote the Oh, play. okay. But yeah, yeah apparently, apparently Watchmen's really good, so I need to get on that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's about it, really, other than... I also um, watched uh, Weekend at Bernie's 2. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in years. I like the first one quite a bit. but I uh, hadn't seen the second one since it was on Sky Movies back in the day, and um, everyone always shits on it, but... It's not that bad. It's got some good moments in it. I'm a big fan of Andrew McCarthy. Like, Mannequin, like, this is... I'm I'm going to admit something right now. Mannequin is one of my... Like, like I said in a few weeks ago, one of my favourite films, if I'm feeling a bit shit, is Empire Records. But my ultimate feeling shit film, and I want to feel good, is Mannequin. (laughs) So, like, when I was a kid, I used to be, like, really ill with asthma. And my mom found out that one way to help me was like just to, to calm me down was to stay up with me all night and we'd watch films. Mm. And we didn't have many VHSs in the house, so the only ones we had was Home Alone, so that was always being watched. Yeah. Um, Big, Turner and Hooch, Roger Rabbit, <laughs> Ghostbusters Two, uh, Weird Science, and Mannequin. So those were the. Um, <laughs> Does say Roger Rabbit? All those are the only yeah. ones that would rotate. <laughs> um, but yeah, then my dad I, I grew my dad, up above a video shop so I had a few more options downstairs oh yeah my dad though <laughs> the ultimate bastard you know how you could put sellotape over a VHS oh so yeah, record yeah o- record he recorded it. over my mannequin tape <laughs> so furious I was proper pissed off oh. so yeah uh, today we are deviating from our normal um curriculum i don't know is that right that sounds uh, <laughs> yeah so description. so i wasn't on the last podcast uh, and brandon stepped in and uh, they chose to do the awesome wells film f is for fake and so i thought um i'd pick one of my heroes like he is genuinely one of my heroes and, and that is ray harryhausen who is like a stop motion special effects like legend genius and i've chosen the golden voyage of sinbad which i think is from 1970 Three, four, three, I think, yeah. Four. I watched a making of, not a making of, but a documentary about Ray Harryhausen today, and it said 1974 in the little brackets when it was talking. Everything I've seen says 73. Yeah, same. So, anyway. Um, what's your history with. Doing the research. What's your history <laughs> with Ray Harryhausen? Um, honestly, I even though I'm well aware of who he is, I haven't actually seen that much of his work. I, I remember seeing Clash of the Titans when I was a kid. But, um, you know, the majority of his stuff, well, a significant portion of his stuff is the kind of uh, swords and sandals kind of fantasy stuff, which yeah. you really have to force me to watch. Uh, like Conan the Barbarian is about as far as I journey into that particular genre. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch uh, The Witcher or anything which involves... You know, uh, swords and magic and wizards and bullshit. It's not really <laughs> in my ballpark. Uh, I watched Lord of the Rings because Peter Jackson directed it, and I haven't seen them since they came out. I don't think. Um, 
so yeah, well, most of uh, Harryhausen stuff is in that genre. He made a few Sinbad films, didn't he? He did Jason and the Argonauts, and then there's Clash of the Titans. Yeah, I mean, like, so his first film he made when he was 13, I think, and it was basically... Mm. He was obsessed with King Kong and Willis O'Brien, who was like a famous stop motion animator, I think did like, was it uh, The Lost World, like in the early yeah, 20s yeah. or late 20s? And then obviously, like King Kong was like the biggest film of all time at, at, at that point. And as a young 13 year old, he was probably really like enamored by it. And I think he's obsessed with dinosaurs and that. And so God knows how he acquired the the cameras and stuff like that, unless his family <laughs> were fairly minted. Uh but yeah, he created this Brontosaurus. And if you actually look at it, you're like, thinking, how the fuck did a 13-year-old create this back in the day? And he used, like, you know, one of those bendy lamps. Oh, yeah. Like, he used one of those in the neck and stuff like that. And he made this short film called Evolution, and it was just about just a Brachiosaur just, or a Brontosaurus just milling about. And it's got, like... But the thing is, though, the sets that he built, you could see there was something that, you know, he was very gifted at this. And, like, he had, like, pterodactyls flying around. So he was very much about setting the scene and character mm. and stuff like that. It did and, seem like a, it wasn't just an animator. He was uh, like a proper filmmaker. He had the yeah. techniques all worked out. and he, um, I mean, he, he pioneered a process. Uh, Dyn- vision, wasn't it? Dynamation or something like Dynamation, that. Dynamation, yeah. It's such a bullshit term, because like, apparently <laughs> the producer that he worked with, predominantly Charles Schneer, came up with, apparently he was driving his new Buick and it had like a the word Dynaflow yeah. on the dashboard and he just took mm. the the flow off it and called it you know dynamation and um so yeah in the 50s they're always coming up with new ideas just to get new audiences (laughs) to come and watch their films and yeah that's what they came up with (laughs) and basically it's just a way of mixing live action with stop motion in color oh so uh, yeah it's not an actual process it's not like go motion or anything like that no go motion i think was pioneered by uh that was phil Phil tippett and he that was basically by putting blur motion blur into the Mm. movement because not to get too ahead, but like if you watch any of um, Ray Harryhausen's special effects, as amazing as they are, and how brilliant they look, they there's all they they don't quite sit in the frame, and that's because one because there's no motion blur, like mm. they're very kind of full focus, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's the thing out of the um, the stuff I've watched over the last so, couple of days. So even if it's a character standing in a background of something which is out of focus. That character will always be in focus mm. because the way he has to shoot, he's basically, I don't know, rear projecting or projecting the footage on the background and then animating in the foreground. So it always has to be in focus no matter what. Mm. And and then because of that, because it's technically a second or third generation of footage then, the footage then looks kind of a bit out of focus or a bit softer. Yeah compared to like the actual creature or character although there was one shot in uh, in this sinbad film where he appears to have done like an out of focus foreground with the with the creature oh is that and the I little that, ape thing with the, yeah the, the little wings. homunculus thing uh, i think all it's right. called the homunculus uh, the little bat creature thing <laughs> that does all the spying we'll yeah get, when it's uh, we'll yeah get we'll to get that. to it but uh, yeah so then i think um he kind of i think he managed to meet willis o'brien and like he said look go to university, study like anatomy, you know, all this kind of stuff and mm. do some uh, animation courses. I don't even know if there was animation courses there. But anyway, he went to uni and did all this stuff. And then apparently he got drafted into the army, but I don't think he was actually on the front lines or anything like that. I think he, I think he was... Um, apparently he film. worked with Frank Capra. 
yeah, like yeah. Colonel Frank, was it Colonel or General Frank <laughs> Capra? Obviously of um, shit. What did he do? My mind's gone dead. He was a he was a photographer. Well, he film uh, he filmed a lot of uh, like propaganda stuff. Um, I don't know if he was he actually cut the films together, but he was a definite cameraman on the front lines. Well, he I know they did a lot of, lot of uh, films like basically showing you how to use the equipment. Mm. So like I don't whether there were animations or like just filmed like you know this is how you load a missile into a missile <laughs> i don't know <laughs> there was a bunch of the old um capra uh war films uh they made on netflix that like compiled them into like a six episode series or something right okay still there. this was a couple of years ago when i saw it but uh yeah that's uh so not like so s- many things i would check them out if i uh if i ever remembered so not to sound like an asshole, but yeah, he did uh, like It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. Smith Goes mm. to Washington and stuff like that. So he was kind of like, apparently, you know, back in the day, he was like, a, you know, he did like your big films, basically, mm. like the big spectacle films. Well, not spectacle, but like the films that... Yeah, the beloved films. Beloved films. But apparently yeah. at the time, he's he was kind of considered a bit of a joke. Well, It's a Wonderful Life was a massive flop at the time. Was it a flop? I don't know if it was an absolute flop, but it definitely barely scraped its money back. And, uh, you know, it was nobody gave a shit about It's a Wonderful Life for decades until um, some TV channel in the 70s. Oh, just kept playing playing it. it. Yeah, played it like, did a 24 hour marathon of it. Like this, and that became a Christmas tradition, and that's when people started considering it a classic. They do that a lot in America with um, what's that? Is it a Christmas uh, tale? Christmas, sto- Christmas, Christmas story. story. That's a uh, Bob Clark one. It never really came over here, did it? Really? No. I mean, I've seen. I'd say I'd, every time I put it on, I fall asleep watching it. I haven't. I've never actually seen it anywhere to try and watch it. Yeah. Anyway, Harryhausen. <laughs> it's also worth noting that um, Ray Harryhausen's dad actually machined all of his armatures dating from the start of his career till up until I think maybe this film. Definitely like 73 was the last time that he made uh, armatures for Ray. And his mum actually made all the soft, soft goods for all the stop motion characters, which I thought was pretty cool. So yeah, then he ended up working with Willow Sobarin on Mighty Joe Young, but I haven't seen Mighty Joe Young, but you have, so maybe... Yes, I I bought the Blu-ray a while ago from, uh, it's it's in HMV's premium collection, Um, so I, uh, yeah, I picked it up a while ago, but I never got around to it, and being asked to uh, guest on this podcast finally spurred me to uh, get around to it, and... It is a really good film. Like I'd, I saw the remake years ago. I can't really remember. Oh, the one with uh, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Um, but yeah, the the original. It's crazy how many effects are in that. Really. Like pretty much every shot is an effect shot. Uh, between Joe Young himself and um, when he's brought back to America and he's put into this nightclub as a kind of nightly attraction, the nightclub itself is a special effects because it's this huge, it's almost like a warehouse and it's themed around Africa. So there's trees everywhere and there's lions in the, in these glass cages along the sides of the bars and things. And it's all a combination of like miniatures and um, stop motion and mats of the live lions behind these uh, panes of glass and rear projection and the crowds, it's all matted together. And so pretty much every shot in that. So he's not, he's not King Kong big, is he? No, he's uh, he's a lot bigger in the remake. I'd yeah, say I remember him being quite slightly, big. Yeah, no. uh, he's slightly bigger than a normal gorilla in in the original, but he's he's got a lot of character, and I think that's what Harryhausen 
Well, yeah, that's brings what, to his work. That, I, I mean, like from the Harryhausen films I've seen, I haven't seen that many to be honest, but I've seen every single animated sequence he's done. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like that's like, you know, his films. Let's, let's face it, they're not always they're not great, and they probably have dated quite a bit. And, yeah. But his work is phenomenal, phen- phenomenal in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean that's and and the acting that's portrayed by his char- his stop motion characters is miles above anything. The, yeah. the real actors can portray. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like Apart from uh, maybe Tom Baker. He's acting. <laughs> it took me a few one. seconds. To, like I was like, yeah, me who too. Is that? Who I saw him in Tom the credits. But... <laughs> anyway, um, I think when he first did his wide eyes thing, I was like, oh yeah, that's Tom Baker. So yeah, so after so after Mighty Joe Young, I think he did quite a lot of. Um, Although he wasn't actually like he wasn't the main guy, he was. He was Willis a technician O'Brien. on that, I think. Yeah, so, Willis yeah. O'Brien was credited, um, but apparently he um... probably offloaded a lot of it to Ray Harry. Well, yeah, he, there was a lot of technical issues, as you can imagine, if the entire fucking set is a just a, a conglomeration of various effect shots. So he had to deal with a lot of the technical stuff, and Harryhausen actually did the majority of the animation on Joe Young. And you can really tell, like, even though Joe Young and uh, Sinbad are the only two Harryhausen films I have any memory of because I just watched them in the last 48 hours, you can really see the the connection between the two in the way they're animated and the the, the movements and the, the expressiveness. Well, his his movements were a lot more nuanced, whereas yeah. if you watch especially King compared Kong, to the original Kong, yeah, if you watch, it's like they they try and do nuanced performances with it, but it's very like. Mm amateurish kind of like the like yeah. he'll just like rub his head or whatever like but it is very quickly done without too much thought between the in-betweens like how he gets to that position and how he gets out of it it's very yeah. much like i want to scratch my it... head now and he just quickly scratches yeah. it without kind of the nuance of going into it coming out of it some of it in in joe young and uh simbad you'd think was motion capture with the, you know the kind of yeah the, the the movement of it i mean you know we'll get to it, but that statue with the blades is amazing but anyway, yeah yeah um so after that he kind of he did a fair few um like sci-fi films because i think kind mm. of fancy films kind of kind they of di- they gave they kind of gave way to like the the 1950s kind of obsession with like Mm. flying saucers and stuff i mean let's face it everything he did was a b movie pretty much wasn't mm. it? it wasn't like a blockbuster film he always had a very small budget but mm. i think the way that he was able to make his films was that they didn't have stars in them they pretty much had like two or three locations mm. and he did all the effects like no one else yeah i didn't realize that I, that he basically animated alone for most of it and he lived in london so he was outside of the hollywood system mm. And so his first film in the 50s was uh, The Beast from 2000 Fathoms, which was kind of like a dragon-y kind of creature that obviously came from the, the depths of the sea. And it made a change because normally they'd just throw like lizards on green screens or whatever it was at the time and put those on. But he like created a, an amazing like stop-motion creature. I haven't seen it, but I think um, Joe Dante uses a clip of it in Gremlins 2. Following that, there was It Came from Beneath the Sea, which is wicked because I'm... I've, I'm obsessed with like Krakens and tentacle yeah. monsters, not in a Japanese pervy <laughs> way, but like I'm a big fan of stuff like that. And then he did. That's uh, the octopus with six arms, isn't it? Yeah, because of Pat, he said because of budget constraints. Whether, yeah, why... like fuck that, I'm not animating eight legs on <laughs> for this money. <laughs> and then he also did uh, Twenty Million Miles to Worth, which had this like 
a creature that kind of, I think it's called the Ymir, 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 and he kind of grows throughout the film until, you know, he gets to like a an enormous height and he kind of terrorizes Rome. And then he did uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Um, and I think maybe his first color work was Animal World, which is a documentary where I think he and Willis O'Brien did some like stop motion dinosaurs mm. at the beginning. But his first color film, which I think was then what introduced Dynamation, I think, was The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. All right. Which had. So that like, was in the 60s. No, that was, was 58, that was. Yeah. And that had uh, the Cyclops in it and the Serpent with him in. And it had one skeleton. Mm. Not like Seven, which he kind of <laughs> does later on. But like it, this film is very similar to the uh, Sinbad that we watched in that the villain could kind of like control things and bring things to life. Right. So like the skeleton he brings to life and fights uh, Sinbad. Sinbad's yeah. different in all these films, by the way. Is it different, played by different, I was wondering that as I was watching it. Played by a different was... white actor, we should probably put <laughs> Yeah, that was the one other thing that was going through my mind as well. I was like, this is set like in uh, in the Middle East and there's not one <laughs> Middle Eastern actor. This is all, They're all played by guys named Garfield and things like <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, no. Do really <laughs> suspicious accents. <laughs> yeah. um, then he did The th- Three Worlds of Gulliver. Which um, I've never seen that one. I feel like I might have seen that one as a kid, but I don't remember anything about it. Uh, then he did Mysterious Island, which is kind of like got giant kind of like insects and like crabs and cephalopods and bees and stuff, which sounds cool because it it sounds like the, the deleted sequence in King Kong, uh, which he did actually animate like for one of the Blu-ray or DVD releases. He he shot. Um, that deleted scene or that lost scene. Well, I know I, I know Peter Jackson sequence. did it. Uh, I think they they might have been involved together with it. It's it's definitely really. Um, I don't know if yeah. he was involved. He maybe maybe he's like a consultant or something. Because yeah. by then he'd be um, pretty old. But yeah, but um, Mysterious Island I think is referenced um, in the first Evil Dead. Oh, okay. Um, musically, at least uh, when they're all sat around having dinner and the uh, uh, cellar door pops open. The music cue apparently is a homage to uh, the theme from Mysterious Island. Then, arguably, his biggest film to date was Jason and the Argonauts. Mm. Which, yeah, that's definitely his, uh, I, his one he's most well-known for. I mean, I've seen it a few times, and I probably couldn't tell you which one Jason is if I was to watch. <laughs> he's the one fighting the Argonauts. There's a few... Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, like the Talos sequence with the, you know, the big kind of metal statue that comes to life is fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Hydra with all the heads and stuff like that. And then, you know, obviously the skeleton sequence is yeah. like everyone's favorite sequence. Because, like, just to, yeah, it would take him, like, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd produce the film, then it would probably take him two or three years because he's working by himself just to do all the yeah. effects. So God knows how he did these skeleton scenes because if there's seven skeletons in a shot, you got to keep track of. You got to keep track of, yeah. Like, (laughs) okay, I've made sure this head's going forward and not back. This one's going back, not forward. This one's going side to side. Like, like just doing my shitty music video I did the other day. I only had two characters on a screen at any one time, and I've got the bonus of instant playback Playback, or going back frame by frame, like. God, it must be a complete a nightmare. And like, if I get a hand in shot, it's all right because I can mask it out, or I can. Yeah. Like, if you look at my footage, it's so sloppy. God knows what Brandon <laughs> thought of me, 
But like he has to do everything perfect, otherwise. Oh yeah, know, that's why all the the uh, us digital filmmakers have got it easy because we can just we can actually fix it in post. Like that yeah. used to be the battle cry of a fucking loser, like uh, who doesn't know what he's doing. But we can actually fix it in post. So who's the loser now? <laughs> <laughs> but you know that has its advantages and disadvantages. I think because mm. we've got too many options, it kind of yeah, that's definitely the case. It can as well. kind of go against you. Whereas I think you know. Back in the day You've where film was expensive, you could only have one pass at a, a sequel. Like, you know, with stop motion, you can only start at the start and end at the end. Mm. You can't, like, with with CGI, you can kind of, you, you do your keyframes and you can fudge around with it and you can kind of, it's a bit more malleable. Well, there's that shot in the first Gremlins where um, the, all the Gremlins come out in the, of the darkness and you see just... Oh, they're all running the forward. Air. Yeah, and um, a light goes out. And that w- that just happened while they were animating, uh, and they thought, "Oh, sh- well, we can just put a no- sound effects over it and carry on." So <laughs> there you go. Just pretended it was the Gremlins knocking out a light. Um, I guess they they were too deep into it. So then, what did he do after that? Then um, he did first Men on the Moon. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but um, let's have a little look what that is. So yeah, it looks like a full feature film. It's like like yeah, it's kind of like Men on the Moon, like aliens and stuff like that. I mm. think. Um, so yeah, then he made one million years BC, which is famous for Raquel Welsh not wearing much, which seemed to be a common theme going forward, especially in the film that we watched today as well. Yeah, <laughs> but apparently the budget for one million years BC was like under half a million, which is insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Like uh, what they could do with that money uh, back in the day. Like a lot of British films were under a million yeah because it was produced by hammer films mm. and apparently like you can imagine though they just shot in a quarry and yeah. i can't imagine like the co- especially her costume didn't cost much because there wasn't <laughs> much to it um and then if you're only paying one effects guy then you know. yeah uh okay so following that he did uh the valley of guanji which is another kind of dinosaur kind of that's cowboys and dinosaurs yeah yeah, yeah 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 that's popped up on trailers from hell a couple of times i think which, you know, it's got some, like, stop-motion horses and stuff, which is one of the things I love is, like, when he has, like, a human interacting with the stop-motion puppet, he obviously has to do a stop-motion human. Mm. Yeah, and I did, really like that, that texture. I think yeah. it's pretty cool. And he, he does it well. Like, there's been a few uh, films that have done that, and uh, it's just really badly uh, pulled off, but you can actually get away with it, I think. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like we say, like, he's really good at the, the motion um and capturing like the the essence of that creature and he's got human movement down as well as uh centaurs and uh homunculus homunculi yeah and then so following guanji he did the golden voyage of sinbad which we watched today and then following that he did sinbad and the eye of the tiger which is what i wanted us to originally but doing my research apparently the golden voyage of sinbad was a better film of his 70s output which was only two films <laughs> yeah and then uh, i heard that one's more kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek yeah a bit more campy i think yeah. not to say that the one we watched wasn't really, <laughs> you know was like the height of uh i don't know adults yeah or whatever. it was the the schindler's list of <laughs> yeah. uh of of stop monsters <laughs> um and then he his last ever film was then clash of the titans in 81 which um it's it's good but it's 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 very dated, even by, you know, I know it's a, like a 40 year old film, but even at that point, like, you know, you already had Star Wars out, you had Alien, 
uh, you had Close Encounters, Jaws, and, and just the way that it's put together and paced and stuff. It's I think he knew slow. he was kind of retiring, so this was his big blowout sale of every technique he'd ever learned up until yeah. that point, and I he mean, just crammed it all into one film. He kind of redid a lot of things he'd already done in mm. terms of, you know, like, you know, like he did a lot of centaurs a lot of the time, or like things with hooved kind of creatures mm. and things like that. But the Kraken was pretty cool. I loved his Medusa though. The Medusa looked amazing. Yeah, that's the thing I mainly remember from it. Yeah, and there was the little owl as well. I mean, it's it's mm. still. I'd rather watch that than the shitty remake that they <laughs> they made like what ten years ago. Like it's got like yeah. the one thing you can say about Harryhausen films, they've all got heart to them. They've all got mm. like you know they've got that loved feeling of that someone's physically manipulated it with their hand like it's been yeah. crafted by hand and i really like that texture yeah and um the one thing i wanted to talk about was by the way that's james's baby if you hear it in the background oh can you hear uh, i didn't know right. how sensitive this microphone is <laughs> yeah she's uh, being a jackass <laughs> shut up <laughs> um like like we said earlier like he was he pretty much did everything he produced he even came up with stories he did all the storyboards design work you know the stop motion he pretty much did everything shy of directing and i think i've read two conflicting things he either couldn't direct because he didn't want to or the other one was that he couldn't direct because he couldn't because of like unions and all that Union kind regulation, of regulation yeah. yeah so uh, whether which one's true i don't know but um yeah i, I mean he's he's basically you know directing the animation so it's not a huge step up maybe he just doesn't want the hassle of having to go to a set every day well i know that a lot of he clashed with a lot of directors not all of his not all the directors he works with but a few because all the animated sequences he would direct because you know mm. he knew exactly you know everything had to be locked down if you if you look at any of his shots with animation there's no movement within the camera it's locked down mm. and you know which you know, with Star Wars coming like several years later, they started to move with motion control cameras motion and stuff control, like yeah. that, which he didn't have the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, that's one of the things that put the nail in the coffin for him that his films very film felt very kind of stagnant a bit. Stay, yeah, yeah. A bit whereas staged. you know, like you know, with your Indiana Joneses and Star Wars and stuff, things start to get more kinetic and faster, which has probably got too fast now with filmmaking. Like, yeah. But anyway. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so he he directed those sequences, and uh, I think di- some directors that he worked with kind of clashed with him, didn't like that, or didn't you know wanted to do things a certain way. And mm. I think it's fair to say he's he's an auteur filmmaker. Like you know, all of his films feel you they feel like a Ray Harryhausen film, even if he didn't direct it. Yeah, know? I mean that's the thing. Like nobody, re- I can't even remember who directed this uh, Sinbad film. Let's have um, a look. Eight. It was George something, was it? George Hessler. Let's see what else yeah. he's done. <clears throat> uh, oh, Gordon Hessler. Gordon Hessler, sorry. Um, it looked like he did a lot of TV. But I know the writer of this film came, he created the Avengers as in the... Yeah, uh, when I saw his name coming up, I, I knew he was a TV guy, but um, I thought uh, it was the writer of Porridge. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> I think he must have a similar name. I can't remember who did it, though. Uh, but um so like i said yeah so he's like an auteur uh filmmaker like special effects artist i can't think of many others like him i mean i guess douglas trumbull maybe you know yeah i mean the the, um the special effects guys uh like the best ones are the ones who 
the filmmakers allow to direct their stuff. Like George Romero always deferred to Tom Savini when it came to the effects stuff because the effects guys know how to shoot it so it looks best. Yeah, and if you so, ever see any Tom Savini's effects in a film, you know they're Tom Savini effects. They've got a very distinct look yeah. to them. Like the blood is very crimsony red and mm. and it looks makeup y, but it's again that's part of the charm to it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And like then he became a director and he did a remake of Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that. Um he never got to do the film that I always wanted to see, though. He was pimping a lot in the late 90s, uh, Vampires. <laughs> Vampires. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he... Uh, who else is there? There's Douglas Trumbull, as like I said before. He you mm. know, he was famous for 2001. He did Silent Running. Uh, he Silent did another Running, film, yeah. didn't he? Fuck. Uh, I think so. I can't remember where it was. Um... Silent Running's amazing, though. Yeah, that's got, they're getting a Blu-ray uh, re-release at some point in the near future. And I believe he's worked fairly recently. I don't know if he worked on... He worked on Blade Runner as that well. That was it, yeah. And then trying to think who else. You've got like Stan Winston. Oh, uh, Trumbull was a producer on uh, The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. Oh, interesting. I mean, he's still yeah. kicking it. He's still, he's still going. Yeah, yeah. He's done a lot of short stuff. But I'd uh, say Brainstorm Ray- was the other film he directed. Well, I'd say Ray Harryhausen is in a very small club of like special effects yeah, artists I mean, who, who pretty much dominate a film. Yeah, your cine, your cine Easts are going to know who Douglas Trumbull is, whereas the uh, your average film viewer is likely to know who Harryhausen yeah. is or have heard of him. Like I was looking at um, like this uh, video on YouTube. It's like a Channel Four documentary from um, about twenty years ago. And just all the comments are from kids, like twelve-year-old kids, just talking about how much they love Ray Harryhausen. And these these are only from like a year ago, like. And it's just amazing that he's still um, influencing like young kids to, you know, to to become stop-motion animators. I mean, please stop because I don't want you to take my job. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, no, it's great, really. There was um, um, a documentary about Phil Tippett on uh, TV the other night um, on Vice. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it's basically just a long interview with him, and a, a little little tour of his shop, and basically him lamenting uh, getting the gig on Jurassic Park and then having it snatched away mid-production when uh, they did those CGI tests and uh, how he felt about it. I mean, uh, he got to stay on the film, though, and he won an Oscar. So. He did, but he, he realised, like, uh, he had the, to shift gears very the quickly. The gig is up, yeah. Um, so he had to do something. So yeah, if, if anybody doesn't know, Phil Tippett is like a, he uh, he worked on the original Star Wars. He did like the chess sequences and stuff like that, mm. um, and the original Piranha as well. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> which I consider it more definitive. <laughs> and then he was going to do the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. And if you get the Blu-ray, there's loads of his like Velociraptor and T-Rex tests, and they look amazing. And he even sto- he. He did animatics for the film, all in stop motion, and yeah, his animatics are better attack. than my flipping, <laughs> my full-on professional attempts. But you know, and I think now he's he's just doing his more like like vanity projects. So it's like it's called yeah, Mad, Mad a, God or Mad something. God, yeah, and they it's talk like a bit a, about that in the documentary. It's a crowdfunded like it's almost like experimental animation really. And it's pretty dark yeah, and bleak really and dystopian weird. and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it looks really cool. It's well animated. And if you go on YouTube, he's got a channel and they're constantly like, he's constantly talking about like his Ed 209 stuff from Robocop yeah. and Jurassic Park and showing you around his studio. And you see like his team that work with him. But anyway, 
He's not Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> so anyway, let's get into the film that we uh, watched, and that is The Golden Voyage of Sinbad from Vizier, the death fight of the centaur on the griffin, the six-armed goddess of evil. <laughs> the flying homunculus. siren on a rampage. The duel with the vanishing sorcerer. <laughs> the one-eyed centaur. So, um, yeah, what did you think of the film then, James? Uh, well, like I was saying earlier, um, it's it's not a genre that I'm uh, I usually go for, but um, you know, once I do sit down with them, I usually enjoy them. It's just not something that really attracts my interest. But I I did enjoy this film. It's um, I was shocked that it's from 1973, though. Yeah, it, it probably it feels like something from the late 50s or something. The way it's paced, yeah. it's very it is very slow. I mean, and just the, the general cinematography and style of the whole thing, it feels very 60s to me. Yeah, it's very flat, I'd say. Mm. And you know, um, again, it's like three locations, and you know, uh, you're pretty much just waiting for every Ray Harryhausen sequence, really. Mm. Yeah, I felt like um, maybe they didn't have the money for it because there wasn't like it was quite a large gap between the Harryhausen creatures. Um, like you had the little rat creature at the beginning. Well, should we tackle it? Like, well, I was that yeah. documentary I was watching today. I think it was either um, 
Joe Dante or I've forgotten who else was on the documentary or James Cameron. One of them said basically oh. that, you know, all you're doing when you're watching a Ray Harryhausen film is just waiting for one of his sequences and you might be yeah. waiting 20 to 30 minutes for each. <laughs> and it's just a bunch of people running around with sticks for the most part <laughs> <clears throat> until you get to the next uh, uh, special effects monster. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so... The film starts, so basically, I guess we'll start off by saying Sinbad is kind of part of like the Arabian Nights, kind of like it's an, it's like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a mythological franchise, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's books that date back centuries and, you know, they got kind of rewritten and people added to them over time. And apparently Sinbad was one of the latter characters that was in the Arabian Nights or there's something, there's another name for it, but I can't quite remember. But um, I think Aladdin's part of that story as mm. well. Like it's one of the stories within the Arabian Nights. And Sinbad is just a sailor, basically, who kind of gets in adventures. Yeah, I always pictured Sinbad as like um, just some wiry, like an Aladdin type, some wiry little kid, like barely uh, a teenager. Like the uh, the kid who's uh, kind of conscripted onto the boat by his... Uh, by his dad, who tells him to get a life. Oh yeah, to see. That's who I pictured Sinbad to be, not this like middle-aged dude, white dude from England. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think this film kind of came out of just sketches and just ideas that Ray Harryhausen had, just kind of things that interest him, like you know, statues coming to life and mm. giant beasts and things like that. And I think he just kind of arbitrarily just picked Sinbad to be his lead character because he's like an adventure character. And I think it took like a, a while for them to kind of formulate a script around his kind of ideas. Apparently one of the ideas had like giant snakes. And the producer Charles, I've forgotten his surname... Um, but yeah, anyway, he had an aversion to snakes and he also felt that the snakes would upset pregnant women, which sounds a bit odd. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll start the start from the beginning then. So it starts off with, is it Sinbad's on the boat or do you see the flying little rat monkey thing? Uh, I believe it starts with them on the boat yeah. and then the, they hear the noise and see the rat thing. Like it, it basically starts right away. There's no lead up to it. It's like... Opening yeah. credits, There's, you're on a boat, you, you shit starts really, happening. You don't really get to know who any of these people in this film are whatsoever. No, I, afterwards I did have to check to see who the character names were. Yeah, like, don't you think, though, you know he's like right-hand man? Do you remember yes. the Harry Enfield sketch where there was the two gay policemen? Yes, yeah. He looked like one of those with the handlebar <laughs> moustache and like the kind of the, well, the 70s hair bob thing going on. One of the other crew I found really distracting because he looks like um, Jesus, uh, Larry David's, uh, is it Gardner in one episode of Kirby Enthusiasm? Is he the guy with the really deep voice? The kind of... um, it's a while since I watched the episode, but he uh, he basically got, um, a th- uh, stood on a nail in Larry David's office and Larry pulled the nail out and uh, I can't remember what happened in between, but he ends up chasing Larry David with a cross at the end of the episode. So that's all I was thinking about whenever he appeared on screen. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, anyway, this like rat monkey thing flies overhead and they kind of try to shoot it with arrows, don't they? And they miss. Mm. But, it, uh, but it drops. Drops a, this uh, kind of part part of an amulet or something like that. Mm. Not an amulet, but there's a some... A huge amulet. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Sinbad's like, right, this is mine. I'm going to be wearing this. <laughs> Find his keepers. And then they stumble upon some land or they see land in the distance and they kind of... The first person he meets when he's on land is this... Is... Tom Baker, isn't it? This Jafar. Well, he, Jafar? 
He, he, um, <laughs> I don't think it's Jafar. Um, it's Jaffa or something. It's J A F F A. So however you want to pronounce it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, he has a. Once he puts on the amulet, he um, or the partial amulet, he has a dream. That's it. Yeah, uh, he has a dream. Yeah, they're they're in a storm, and he sees a vision of um, of this uh, girl with uh, an eye. The hands. Hand. Yeah, the, uh, the and, eyeball. Um, yeah, some various other wacky shit, and um, yeah. Uh, I think the storm pulls them to that. Oh, moment. is that what happens? Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they immediately run into Tom Baker once they get there. It was like, looks like you're wearing my shit, Dicker. Yeah, give me, give me the amulet, and then like I think he does the old switcheroo and just kind yeah, of, like, yeah. kills the one guy that was with him, and then just rides off on the other guy's horse uh, into town. He's followed by Jafar into the town. Uh, somehow they get separated, and Simbad meets the the king i don't know like the rule i don't know the ruler of this town or i think he's like a caretaker um type ruler i think the actual king is dead or missing okay. or something and he's just kind of uh, running things until uh they get shit worked out but he has like a know, mask. kind of confusing he has like a metal mask over his face that kind of hides his face because it's been disfigured yeah that, that was pretty cool i thought although yeah i did think that was going to play more into the film it does later on in the at the end. I mean, barely. He's <laughs> um, <laughs> basically used to frighten some guys, and then he puts the mask back on. So he takes uh, Sinbad downstairs into this like little cave area where it's kind of got some paintings on the wall, and this painting's like of a map. Mm. And then you know he gives uh, this guy gives Sinbad the other part of uh, what well, another third of the of this amulet thing and he clips it together and then Sinbad works out that if you hold it in front of light it kind of casts a shadow on the wall a bit like Indiana Jones and kind of like yeah shows like the chart the way basically to this mysterious island it kind of reminded me of um Hellboy 2 you know the crown in three parts oh that, yeah, uh, yeah. you have to put together I well, literally just realized that now I spent the entire film going this well I'm sure like Del Toro is like obsessed with yeah, Ray Harryhausen's work and stuff. Yeah, I think he's um, popped up many times. In so are they? related stuff. I can't remember if they're actually after the crown or if they're after the fountain. This guy. Um, I don't think they know they're after the fountain. I think they're just trying to put the crown together, and they just know it will unlock some kind of uh, mystical knowledge. Okay. Uh, it's only when they get to um, the cave later on that they uh, they find out what it actually is that they're after. So they're being watched by this rat monkey thing, and you find out this rat monkey is kind of like part of Jafar. He kind of like he creates it, and it's kind of like part of him. And whenever he creates these kind of beings, it kind of ages him and takes away from yeah. his power. So he's looking for this fountain of youth kind of power to kind of restore him and kind of make him like immortal, I guess, and like yeah. ever all powerful. <laughs> and they, uh, as they catch this like little rat monkey thing, it kind of what disintegrates or explodes in their hands yeah they have a little chase and then yeah it just kind of uh, explodes into leaves it looked like so uh, Sinbad's got a quest now he's going to this mysterious island Uh, the guy's going with him with the metal face Uh, as he's walking around he's collared by this kind of like peddler this salesman or or a pimp I don't know what he is but (laughs) and he basically wants his son to kind of do something so he's like look yeah, i'll give you i'll pay you money if you bring him on board your ship uh to give him some work and then 
Sinbad's like, no, 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 no. And he keeps raising the, the price, the price. And then all of a sudden, this he meets this girl who is his servant or his slave. Yeah, slave. Who is rather attractive. Just going to lay it out there. She's, <laughs> uh, she's definitely very, She's definitely very French or something like that. She's uh, she's in a Bond film. Is um, she? Yeah, uh, I think it's Spy Who Loved Me. Um, but she's also been in a bunch of Hammer films as well, I think. I think she has about three lines in the entire film. Yeah, she has very little to do. She does nothing, really. Like, no. I don't even know what the point... Like, So he, does he see her hand in this yeah, sequence? Yeah, that's, that's a big deal throughout the film, this whole Which eyeball. Which doesn't really do much. <laughs> no, they, <laughs> she's literally a distraction. Both so, for the audience and uh, the characters. So he sees this eyeball tattoo on her hand. I mean, it looks like it's been drawn on with face paint. It's so bad. Um, it's, a, it's a marking I've had since birth that won't come off. I'm like, are you sure? Just run it under a tap. So um, he takes uh, this lad and this girl on board their ship and they venture on towards you know this mysterious island. Jafar is following them. And then one night he turns like their ship figurehead into like a uh into like well a living creature, I guess. Like, yeah. So this it's like almost like a golem type thing. Yeah, and he's basically after the map so he can get to to the island before Sinbad. Mm. It's quite a cool sequence though, I thought. Yeah, I liked it. I I, I liked the reveal of it um coming to life where the uh, the waster uh, boy is yeah, uh, yeah, just kinda of chilling out at the front and they have a little comedy routine of where he starts moving and he's not sure if it's if he's drunk or if it is moving. <laughs> and that whole it whole separating from the boat I thought was quite cool as well. Well yeah, and I tell you what I really liked as well. The physical uh the physical uh destruction of the cabin yeah. with the stop motion character looked really cool. I thought it was really well done mm. put together. Um and again, like there, you, you know, there are camera moves in this film, and like you know, there's dollies and there's zooms and stuff. But as soon as there's a special effects, it's pretty yeah. much locked. Um, I was kind of expecting when it fell into the water, that it was going to carry on walking. Yeah, it just kind of gives up. At that floats, point. floats towards yeah. Jafar because they're trying to. Yeah, I thought that was going. I thought they were going to do some under motion, underwater stop motion when it sinks to the bottom, and uh, Tom Baker's like return. And then it starts moving. So by doing, by bringing this figurehead to life again, it's like lowering his life and he's like aging. Like apparently Tom Baker was 37 when he made this film. So he was the same age as us or give or take. (laughs) And um, I was thinking, fuck man, he looks old. And I mean, uh, like obviously they age him throughout the film Mm. and the age makeup's actually quite good. I think because they show it in really tight, really tight close up. And it looks really good. And you know, it's as good as like back to the future kind of old age Mm. makeup, I think. I don't know if it's that old age where you kind of stretch your face and then you apply it. It is stretch and stipple. And then you let go and it just kind of like crinkles. Yeah. But it and then good. it looks like it, it looks really, uh, the texture of it doesn't look very stippled when they yeah. do that really tight close up on it. And they, they, they gray his beard and stuff like that. It's good. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so Tom Tom Baker, Jafar, gets the kind of the map to the. Um, the, the the mysterious island because uh, Sinbad was trying to redirect them through the kind of rocks and the smoke because this yeah. not the smoke but the mist or whatever the fog yeah. fog because he's charted these waters before so he knew where he was going so mm. he could kind of lure Jafar into well, this he's area. been there once before he once um, <laughs> so yeah and also so on the ship as well later on you kind of you get some interaction with this girl and Sinbad 
And so obviously she's a freed slave now. Yet mm. all she's doing is slave work. <laughs> yeah. So she's organizing. I really enjoyed his, that. She's organizing his shit. She's doing all their washing and stuff like that. Yeah, I think maybe my favorite part in the film is where Sinbad is like, uh, "You're a free woman now. You're owned by no one. No one has the right to own you, and you're your own person. Make me a drink." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does come back with please, but he has just given. Her I was a task, thinking, so I was like, "Where's the please?" And he does. He, yeah. To be fair, he does come back with please. But you know, and it's like to not... say she's a freed woman. Like, give her some time to do some shit herself. It's not like it's a hard task just to pour a, some liquid. In <laughs> yeah, it, but... it was literally. Standing next to it when he yeah. asked her to do I was it, like, and then he fucked lazy off. Lazy fuck. <laughs> I think this Sinbad is a prick, massive <laughs> prick. Um, so yeah, then they eventually they end up on the island. Mm. Um, Tom Baker's five minutes behind them by the looks of it. Yeah. Did you notice though that they they obviously superimposed like some heads on the rocks and stuff like that? I mean, you couldn't not notice. Yeah, the color grading wasn't quite. Yeah. match and they were very much more in focus than everything else but mm. you know it sets the mood yeah so they they venture forward and they see this like kind of cat witchy kind of character in the distance they're, they're following mm. that tom baker gets to the island yeah 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 I mean, they are literally like two minutes behind them yeah. when they get to the island walk up a hill and then tom baker <laughs> arrives um, <laughs> so anyway, they, they don't reached, know why they didn't just take the same boat. They've reached this kind of castle, not castle, but this kind of stone building. They go inside this like little entrance. They go down the stairs, and um, the they they encounter this kind of like ghostly being. I thought it looked really cool though. This like face that came out of the well, like that witch yeah. woman kind of conjured it out of the well. Yeah, and basically, uh, he he basically was like the mystical operator. They came in and said, "We need to talk about this thing," and she did a chant, and the face appeared. Yeah, he's basically like the uh, the Wizard of Oz or whatever, basically explaining, mm. "You need to get the third part of the amulet, which is down." <laughs> below. Like he basically sets out their quest of what they're going to do. Yeah, for the next four I did. Minutes. I did like uh, that performance. Uh, did you see who it was? No, no, no. Robert Shaw. Was it Robert Shaw? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah. I did. I did. I did see a little bit of Quint in it. Uh, welcome, starts, welcome but... back to the podcast, Robert Shaw from taking the <laughs> Pelham one, two, three. No way. That's. I, oh, I'm gonna have to watch that again now. Yeah. But it looked really He's... cool, though. It kind of mm. did look like a Mighty Boosh kind of thing because he had horns going out of his head <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty cool makeup. There's all flames going around him and stuff like mm. that. It did cut to these weird close-ups of his mouth every now and again, which I thought yeah. was weird. That that's when it felt the most Quint like to me. That's when it was uh, like you need to go north. Yeah, because they're really close. I didn't know if the mouth. mouth was then upside down. You know, when you do that thing where you speak upside uh, yeah. down, and you put eyes on your chin or something. I didn't know if they did that kind of effect. But anyway. uh, it's just a really weird uh, scene. I think it was edited quite because they cut to the close up. Yeah, within a special effect within the same show. So it looked just, weird. Uh, it looked a bit yeah. jarring. But anyway, Jafar's outside. And he's got this like box of basically like potions and stuff mm. and he blows up the entrance to the to the caves they can't get out but uh you know they managed to macgyver like a, a grapple hook system out of like a some metal uh, yeah he's take off all your um belts and turbans but sinbad keeps his turban on yeah there's fucking shit <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't let the girl the woman up first he goes at first yeah 
And, what, uh, what does he say? Because uh, the the waster boy says, uh, "I'm the lightest. I'll go up." And then Simba's like, uh, "What does he say? Yes, but I'm the most cunning." Or, yeah. Or, yes, but I, I'm I'm the bigger dickhead here. <laughs> so yeah, basically, there's there's you know there just happens to be a hole above them where they are, so they fire this kind yeah. of. It's quite cool though. How he fires the grapple hook where he lies down. Yeah, and fires yeah. His feet. Yeah. And he fires this grapple hook and climbs up. And I think the the little rat monkey's in there again. Like mm. he's conjuring the yeah, rat monkey uh, thing. That was the effect shot that I was uh, quite impressed by when uh, when Tom Baker creates it when they're on the boat. That's when Harryhausen did that kind of. It, it looked like it might have just been a really badly comped shot, but oh, do you remember like it's on his hand? It was it flies off his hand. That was a good shot as well, but this is when it's on the table. Oh, yeah, it looks um, really good there. And it's uh, it's in the foreground and Baker's behind him. It looks like the creature is out of focus, and it, I think that's the best-looking shot. It does cut then, though, when in he walks of, away, uh, and he's got like just yeah. a static one that's just wobbling around on his own. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, yeah, anyway, back to the back to the well. They get out of the well, and they make their well way to this... Where, where do they go? Like an... It's north. It's That's north. as much as I remembered. Yeah, <laughs> and it's um, basically another kind of temple built into a mountain. But Jafar's beaten them to it, or mm. Jafar, Jafar. I don't know. Tom Baker has beaten them to <laughs> it, and there's this wicked statue in there of like a a sixth arm goddess. Mm. And apparently, well, um, apparently Ray Harryhausen was annoyed because he he'd already designed and made the stop motion model. And sent a model of the maquette to the production team in Spain because mm. I think all of it, I think a lot of Ray Harryhausen films were shot in Europe to kind of keep mm. costs down and stuff like Spain or Italy or whatever. Um, I mean, the Fast he, and the Furious shot in Tenerife. Did it? So the, the last, well, yeah, uh, the I've one that uh, I saw the first one when it came out, and that's it. But uh, yeah, the the sixth one, I think, uh, my friend Nicola worked on it and on the second unit and they shot all the car chase stuff in uh, Tenerife. Oh, cool. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was annoyed because the, the goddess face was, they made it more masculine in the, in the, the full size model and he wasn't very happy yeah. with it. And there wasn't enough time to change it when they got to set. But anyway, um, so he like casts a spell on it and he throws one of his like little, little test tube, well, it. yeah. F- first, when he walks in, he's uh, confronted with the the natives. Oh yes, I forgot about the green <laughs> natives that kind of yeah, again look was... like sing out Mighty Boosh, and they kind of yeah, and they're all clearly white guys again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a weird color timing thing. Um, like they just looked green, but no, they are actually green. Yeah, natives. I, oh, the one thing I forgot to point out when they're in the cave, the lighting is awesome. It's almost like yeah, Dario Argento, like yeah, uh, I really liked that. Jallo really gives... kind of lighting, like proper reds and greens and pinks, purple. It really gives it some dimension that yeah, the rest of the film cool. doesn't have. Like especially when you see it lit on the goddess, the greens and the purples, and yeah, it's really yeah. cool. You can tell though again when it becomes a special effects. They take yeah. away those lights and they kind of just have more traditional lights. I there think. was a little bit on uh, on the uh, goddess statue because uh, I noticed on like, the stop motion uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it cuts to the wide, there's still a little bit of an edge of green on one side of her. The, oh, okay, the green light you. was kind of behind her up on the uh, up on the pedestal. I take it. Back. Was, I, I only noticed it in one shot, uh, but I just that was the best looking shot i think of that sequence uh the initial like coming down and doing the dance with the uh kind of jerky neck thing that was wicked so so like so he i can't remember if he starts looking for the other part of the amulet uh, oh, <laughs> that was my other favorite part well he's just searching through all these boxes 
Yeah, he's like, uh, I will find this amulet. And he looks through two boxes and he's like, I can't find it! <laughs> he's just like rummaging around. Um, so yeah, then then Sinbad and his crew come in and then the uh, the goddess like steps out. And then this sequence mm. is amazing when she starts dancing. Mm. I really like that. Like really good animation. Like I've I've got a thing for characters with six arms and stuff. So if you ever watch some of my music videos, you'll see like multiple yeah, characters yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. One of my fetishes. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, but now you mention it, it um, does pop up quite a lot. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, that's when she gets, uh, you know, gang violence on her ass and just whips out these switchblades. Yeah, well, she picks arms. up the one sword and then all of a sudden yeah. she just conjures <laughs> five others and you're like, hang on a minute. Where did these come from? <laughs> but, like, the animation and the timing is fantastic. It's so good. Mm. Like, Because Oz- there's, like, three three of the uh, live-action humans are fighting. Yeah, it's not like we'll all take time. it in turns. It's all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell, like... I know it's shit, but like uh, Revenge of the Sith with uh, General Grievous, and he's kind of got like six arms, and he's got all mm. the lightsabers, and you can tell they're basically aping this film with that, mm. but nowhere near as good as this. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was a really cool sequence. I really liked it. Mm. It was really, really well done. The animations, like the character, like who else would give a character to this kind of like benevolent weird statue i don't know this like just yeah, goddess it's... statue that's kind of emotionless but they're all kind, of, kind gives... of very clearly defined as characters yeah, like, yeah it doesn't move or act in the same way as the uh the other statue yeah, creature yeah. on the boat it's uh yeah it's its own distinct entity and eventually i think it's the the young lad who kind of saves yeah, yeah. saves sinbad and like basically kicks it to the floor and it falls a lot of his characters if you notice they fall and break that's how a lot of mm. like all the skeletons in uh in the other sinbad or jason and the argonauts jason, they fall yeah. because they just fall and break so when it falls and breaks i think the um the native people kind of see it because it's their god they're kind of like well yeah the missing pieces inside the statue. Oh yeah, so good point. Yeah, Sinbad uh, picks that up, and then Tom Baker reappears, and he basically uh, grasses him up to the natives, and he's like, "Look, look what Sinbad did to the statue!" Did to statue. Yeah. <laughs> so then they take the woman. Well, they, first they, yeah, well, yeah, first they strap Sinbad down, and they're gonna uh, sacrifice him, and she's like, "No," and holds her hand up, and they see the eye, and they go, "Oh, actually, we'll sacrifice you instead." Yeah. And that's the entire purpose of the eye. It has no other relevance. <laughs> yeah, so they kind of winch her down into this pit where you see this this centaur. Is it like a centaur? Yeah, Cyclops comes, centaur. Yeah, comes out. It looks cool. It's got a weird mm. hairdo though. I do. I do like uh, the fact that this just the the sound it makes is just like a pissed off guy. It's just <laughs> like, <"Nyah!"> <laughs> but yeah, so he picks her up, takes her away. They make their way down into the uh, the pit. And uh, go to rescue her, basically. Mm. Uh, Sinbad finds her, and then uh, Jafar finds his way to the um, to the fountain, which I thought was a pretty cool effect as well. Apparently, Harryhausen wants it to be a fountain of flame and water. Right, but just chose to just do water instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He put some. I, I did like the lighting effects. Like he did put an orange. Light oh yeah, on it was it, pretty cool. Yeah, like cool. the colors yeah. do change, and especially later on, it changes. But um, yeah, yeah. 
I thought the mat work as well, because that's a miniature, the whole fountain thing. And yeah, it looked I really good. The shots uh, of them walking in front of it looked really good. It looked better than some of the earlier ones. So, like when they mm. walk towards the the uh, the ruined castle where they kind of meet the yeah the head the uh, the, the, the yeah the Robert Shaw head. Weak. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they go into the building again, when they're met by met by the native folk, because they're green, and I'm guessing they're on a green screen or a blue screen. They just looked. Weird. I figure it's blue screen. I think green screen didn't come on. And they just looked like a weird nice. shade of brown, though. Like, by the... yeah, it was very. It took me a while to figure out what color they actually were. But anyway, how racist it was in the fountain. <laughs> in the fountain room, um, Jafar is kind of getting his way closer and closer to the fountain to kind of replenish himself. Which he eventually does. Sinbad comes in, I think. With he and his crew. Can't remember. Uh yeah, and they just kind of hang back for a while. Um because uh Tom Baker conjures the uh the centaur. Um and the griffin for some reason. I don't reason. know where, where or what the griffin has anything to do with it, but it's the the fountain controls like the forces of good and evil, and the oh, centaur is, that is the it... evil and the griffin is the good. Right. Um, okay. So he conjures those to fight, I think, so he can take control of the forces of evil. Um, and then uh, he does a, a bitch move and uh, slices the uh, griffin's uh, leg with a sword whilst yeah. he's fighting the centaur, allowing it to get the upper hand. Um, that shit. So yeah, ends up killing the griffin. So who kills the centaur? Is it Sim- is it Sinbad? That's when Sinbad, yeah. I think that's when they start fighting and he ah. uh, leaps on its back. And, and he gets a stop starts, motion uh, Sinbad. Yeah, yeah, um, and he stabs it. Um, I would say the when he takes on Jafar, that was pretty weak because Jafar's in the fountain, so you can't really see, mm. it, and he just kind of stabs him, and it's like a bit of a weak kind of like a limp stab that, like, you don't even see. Like, yeah, the stabbing and fighting with the um, the goddess was much better, and you felt the contact. Whereas with this, you just didn't feel any. Yeah, it's um. Well, he was he was fighting nothing, wasn't he? Because uh, oh, I forgot he had point. he had the shield which could turn him invisible. Yeah, yeah. so he so was he's kind basically of... yeah, he's just swinging at nothing, uh, uh, probably on the set. Yeah, forgot about that. He had his little green screen or blue screen shield, so he could kind of remove yeah. it. Um, but yeah, but once he kills Jafar, there's a wicked. Uh, it, it turns the fountain blood red. Yeah, and it does look pretty and cool I, to be fair. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether it was meant to be blood or whether it was just meant to be another kind of um, weird lighting effect, but it, it really looks like blood, <laughs> and uh, there's quite a lot of it. Yeah, it's almost like Army of Darkness style. Yeah, just gushing out of the. Um... Yeah, which looked like it might be a lot for an early '70s audience, as for a kids' film. Yeah. Yeah, there's a quote somewhere, I think I read it on Wikipedia, where, you know, they wanted it to be sexy, but it had to be G-sexy, so that's why you kind of, you've got the uh, the voluptuous, uh, like... Uh, Caroline Monroe. Yeah, the uh, female kind of character. Bust, busting at the seams, but yeah. the seams very much remain in place. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, though, he said he was upset, the producer said he was upset with the portrayal of Sinbad in the film, because he didn't want just because of the cultural reappropriation of like you know a white guy mm. playing a Middle Eastern, and then he did the accent. Whether or not he at the time felt like this, or in retrospect, is kind of like yeah, the accent was a step. Maybe too far. we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I mean, I would say the accent is probably the least egregious of the of the things. I mean, it's part of it, but you know, I think the whole concept is flawed from the beginning. If you're talking about yeah. uh, cultural appropriation, um. And then, so yeah, and then 
in the reflection after he's killed Jafar in the reflection you see Sinbad and the girl and he's kind of got the crown on his head mm. and then he he bends down and pulls the crown out of the out of the fountain is that correct yep that's right then puts it on top of Metalhead's head <laughs> and then in like what looks like just a, the shittiest transition ever between like three different whites yeah that is a very much um uh a wolfman style transformation of uh, the slow dissolves between different stages. I feel like Harryhausen had enough by then. He was like, fuck it. Yeah. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, you I mean, then... that just dissolves. So he probably wasn't even involved with that shot. So earlier on, you actually, see... I can't remember what point you actually see his real face. It was uh, when they were with the natives and they were trying to get away when they were about to sacrifice. Um, I guess it's when they're trying to sacrifice Sinbad. Um, He's like, show him your face. I don't know why. <laughs> and he, I can't remember. Yeah, and he lifts up his helmet, and they're all like, "Ooh!" <laughs> and, and then they run away. Was it meant to be Jafar did that to his face? I can't remember. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he he basically, I think it was in that tomb they were in at the beginning where they put together the uh, the map. Did he throw um, one of these little yellow bombs at him? Yeah, he he set the room on fire with it and locked him in it, so ah. he was uh, horribly burned. Uh, yeah. So after that, he. You see him as as he was originally, all white with a, white, with a big <laughs> white beard, and that. Um, and then I guess that's where it kind of ends. It ends on the ship, and that ends yeah. on a lol, if I remember. It ends on a joke, or like them kind yeah, of. Yeah, um, <laughs> Waster Boy uh, claims to be a great uh, seaman, and then falls <laughs> off the perch. That's it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Really, I think. Yeah, it was. I, it does sound like we shot on it quite a lot, but. I it's, found it really enjoyable. It's like it's like one of those perfect. It's two o'clock on a Sunday on Channel Four, and you're watching yeah, yeah, like yeah. a, you know, one of these kind of films on an Easter Sunday or something like mm. that. And it's it, you know, it, I'll watch more of them. They, you know, it requires no. Like it seems to be though that I don't remember any of it though. Talking about, it. <laughs> I've forgotten a lot of it. But they're like just easy breezy watches. Really, they're not really that mm. complex. And you know, really good music as well. I was um, thinking that actually. Uh, Miklos Rocha, uh, who was the composer, who was like one of the great composers of the uh, of the Golden Age. He um, he did uh, Spellbound was one of his big ones, the uh, Hitchcock film. Oh, okay. Um, he did Time After Time as well, which is the one that I listen to um, quite a lot. Well, we're talking about um, that in a few weeks. I yeah, think it's the week after because um, next you're back next week to talk about uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Oh, is it uh, next week? I don't know something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and. Um, and then the uh, he also did uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Oh, I, I that like that last film. film. <laughs> yeah, because um, all that whole film's a throwback. So they were just hiring people like costume designers and cinematographers and things from the uh, from the forties. And uh, yeah, they got Miklos Rocha to do the score. Have and, you uh, got the uh, the book Wild and Crazy Guys when they talk about the making of that? No, but it is on my wish list, and it's I keen need to get around to it. Yeah, it is a good book. I've got a load of books to read. Have you, have you seen the thickness of that George Romero book? What George Romero book? A, uh, a novel that he um, he started writing um, before he died has been finished by um, another author who uh, works with Guillermo del Toro a lot. Oh, on his he, books, uh, like Stay yeah, or whatever. And... Uh, no, it was um, he co-created Troll Hunters, uh, the animated show. Oh, okay. And he wrote um, the novelization of uh, Shape of Water as well. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, uh, the Living Dead is the book, and it's like seven hundred pages. 
So I've got that. I've got Brian De Palma's uh, book to read as well, although that looks like a breezier read. Um, yeah, I've got a whole pile of stuff that I need to look at and just never get around to. So anyway, what would you give uh, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad out of five? Uh, out of five, um, a high three, low four, I think. Yeah, I'd give it a three and a half, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, so. I'd definitely like it if there was a few more uh, sequences in it. Like, there's definitely mm. a lull after the wooden, uh, you know, the figurehead mm. until you get to the uh, the statue that comes alive. I think there's definitely something they could have put. Yeah, I mean, once they get to the island, it kind of picks up a bit. But that first uh, first half of the film is basically the wooden figurehead is the only effect sequence. And, yeah, uh, yeah, they could have done with picking up the pace. Like a, but I think the budget you know, the budget was two million. Which I think right, if so you, the... I tried to work it out, and like if you've ever listened to this podcast before, me and Liam are really bad at working out money like. <laughs> uh, Differences, uh, not differences, what you call it, the exchanges, I don't know, cha- I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. inflation. Um, so yeah, a- apparently I think it works out to about 11 million nowadays. But, Which ain't um, too shabby. Yeah, that's an episode of Game of Thrones, I think. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I had a fun time with it and I'm definitely going to watch mm. more of them, I think. I'm definitely going to... Yeah, I do regret missing out on those... Um... Ray Harryhausen box sets that came out. I've um, got one of them which has got like three films, and I think it's got Tim Burton commentaries on it. Oh, really? So God knows what Tim Burton's got to say because, like, he can barely <laughs> string a sentence together if you ever listen to any of his own commentary <laughs> tracks. So I haven't, but I assumed from the look of him, he was a mumbler. Yeah, he's definitely a mumbler. Um, he says mumbling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a shame though that stop mo- like stop motion hasn't gone away. There are feature films made with stop motion, especially with like Leica and Aardman. But it's a shame yeah, that but they're, they're not exclusively like it's not used. Yeah, um, a in few... a live action context. There's a few on Netflix, like there's the little something boy. You know, it's all made out of paper and stuff like that. But it's a shame that they mm. don't use it in a, as a special effect anymore in films. Even like, do you know what I mean? Like, I know Wes yeah. Anderson does his stop motion films, but I'd like it if if it was brought back again. Like, like Mars Attacks, like a was... Robocop. Or something. Yeah, yeah, like Mars Attacks was supposed to have these stop motion aliens. Mm. And I just can't help but think that that would have made that film that much better. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I actually like I like Mars Attacks, but I, think, I do too. But I think that was the start of the fall for me with Tim Burton. Like that's when he started to he dropped that that uh, texture, that kind of technique, and just mm. went full on CGI with all of his films. Uh, yeah, I think Sleepy Hollow is the last one. Yeah, I really like Sleepy Hollow. There's no stop motion in it though. No. Um... Oh no, I did see uh, Corpse Bride, but I think that's the. Well, last I mean, like aside from seen. his like Frankenweenie and Corpse Bride, like he hasn't incorporated it into a live action yeah. film in a long time, and I think and that's, that's a the shame. thing. Like the the main downfall for stop motion, I think, because you know Harryhausen showed that you can get the movement right, and Phil Tippett can put you showed you can get the motion blur. Yeah, uh, on it so it looks more realistic. The compositing is what let down a lot of stop yeah. motion because it doesn't match into the footage. With digital compositing, it'll be a lot easier. Yeah, I, mean, I, did, I remember seeing like an, a test um, by some indie filmmaker like ten years ago. They'd done a little uh, stop motion kind of uh, centaur creature running around uh, some old ruins uh, that they were at. They were, this was like a European guy. It might have been in Greece or something. And he just had some footage of old ruins and he composited this creature onto it. And it looked really fucking good. And this is just a guy with a home computer. 
Um, so they really need somebody to uh, like Guillermo del Toro needs to yeah he needs step to step up and do yeah, it. Yeah, uh, grow so some balls. That it can be done. <laughs> Your Jaegers should have all been stop motion. Yeah, you know it works for Stuart Gordon. It can work for Guillermo. Yeah, del Toro. what is it? Robot Jocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking badass movie. Robot with a chainsaw dick. <laughs> There was actually a short Australian film that came out uh, recently. It's called Rebooted. It's only about 12 minutes long and you can watch it online. But basically it's about like a, a Harryhausen-esque skeleton that was created for a film way back when. And he finds out the film's being rebooted and he tries to like kind of ease his way in the film. It's about how he kind of comes to terms with being like an outdated special effect. It's really, 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 really good. And it's directed by Michael Shanks. And the animation is by uh, Samuel Lewis. It's it's really good. Definitely worth a watch. So on that note, I think we'll uh, call it a day. But uh, thank you very much for filling in today, James. I really appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks where they can find you out there on all the social media platforms? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my website is uh, untamedaggression.com. Uh, so you'll find links to all my uh, social medias. And uh, if you want to check out Heads of Poppin', uh, that's at headsofpoppin.com. Awesome. So go check out James and follow his film exploits. Thank you very much for uh, helping me out and co-hosting today's episode. Not I really a appreciate Glad it. To be here. Thank um, you for asking. Yeah, and we'll see you again next week for I spit on your grave. Indeed. I, was it I spat on your grave? No, I spit on. I spit on your grave. Yeah, I probably should get around to watching it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the various platforms. So you know, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify. Yeah, uh, you can always reach out to us on uh, Twitter. We are at, at Adjust Your Track. That's a YR, not a your. And remember, if the pitch is bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking.